Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for Conversations of Consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. And good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta, thanking you for joining me today. We have got some wonderful things to talk about. We uh, have before us uh, an unusual story. Uh, Well, actually, it's not an unusual story. It's just unusual for us to uh, use a story like this. This story goes on everywhere. And it has to do with the generosity of spirit that you see in Catholic parishes. So here, on Tuesday mornings, a group of men and women meet in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, to pray and to read Scripture. But there's something different about this Bible study. Almost all of its attendees are homeless. (laughs) It's a ministry that began at Most Blessed Sacrament Parish and has been expanding. And now there's a full day-by-day shelter um, it is an incredible story, the relationship between the ministry, day-by-day uh, day shelter, we'll call it, right, and the parish. How did that work? How did the uh, those who attend parish take to having homeless people around? We're going to talk it over with Mala Yatso Butz, uh, who is the executive director there. And we have, of course, our time with Peggy Stanton. We're going to take a look at the upcoming gospel reading for this weekend. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Uh, Again, this is early on in the gospel uh, of Mark. It is the call of the fishermen. So that's coming up. And then in the second hour of today's program, we're going to be with Carrie Gress. Uh, Carrie has a doctorate in philosophy from the Catholic University of America. She's the author of several books, uh, including, and most recently, The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us. Uh, Carrie has started the Theology at Home series, so if you've seen those books, you have an idea. She's been on this program a number of times, talking about the anti-Mary features of our culture. So we're going to take a look and see what went wrong. In other words, what was the problem that the feminist movement was supposed to be the solution for, right? Uh, And what went wrong? Or was it wrong from the beginning? But first, the headlines. Thanks, Al. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News for Thursday, January 18th. It's the Feast of St. Margaret of Hungary. Today's news brought to you by Charity Mobile, supporting pro-life and Catholic causes at CharityMobile.com. A Justice Department report says the 2022 Uvalde, Texas school shooting could have been stopped sooner. They had plenty of warning and plenty of knowledge that there were dying children, wounded children in those classrooms who had been shot by that gunman. NBC News legal correspondent Ken Delanian says the DOJ released a nearly 600-page report Thursday detailing the response to the shooting. They killed 21 and injured 17 others. The shooter was stopped 77 minutes after he first walked into the school. 
The clock is ticking on Congress to avoid a government shutdown. The House and the Senate are racing to pass a funding extension before tomorrow's deadline and before a snowstorm hits Washington, D.C. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announcing yesterday that the Senate will vote on a continuing resolution this afternoon. The House is then expected to vote on the measure later today or early evening once it's passed by the Senate. A portion of the Tree of Life Synagogue building in Pittsburgh is being demolished. The building is the site of a shooting in October of 2018, which left 11 people dead. The gunman, 51-year-old Robert Bowers, was sentenced to death last August. Around 80% of the building is being demolished, and rebuilding plans call for a memorial to be placed on the portions of the building which are not being torn down. And frustrations between the White House and Israel are reportedly growing as conflicts in the Middle East continue to expand. The Biden administration wants Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to scale back as the country's offensive in the Gaza Strip. In addition to the war between Israel and Hamas, Pakistan carried out retaliation strikes against Iran, and the U.S. has hit more than a dozen Houthi rebel missile sites in Yemen. From your AviMariaRadio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark. And good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. On Tuesday mornings, a group of men and women meet in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, to pray, uh, to read scripture. But there's something different about this prayer group and Bible study. Almost all of its attendees are homeless. It's a ministry that began at Most Blessed Sacrament Parish and has expanded into the day-by-day shelter. And its executive director, Molly Yatsovutz, is my guest. Molly, good to have you here. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Let's describe describe the ministry itself, and then I'll ask you about its origins. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, as part of our daily programming, so um, as part of our mission at Day by Day Shelter is um, we allow for opportunities for self-sufficiency through daytime programs and services, meaning that those who are homeless can come in and utilize our shelter during the day when we're not open um, for, like, specialized classes, programs, those type of things mm-hmm. uh, that we hope will move move their life into a better direction. And so part of that programming um, is our Tuesday morning prayer group with Most Blessed Sacrament. And that all began um, because 12, well, it'll be 13 years now this upcoming spring, um, a group of people in Oshkosh came together and decided that we had an increased number of homeless um, individuals living in in the streets in our community, mm-hmm. and they needed to do something about it, particularly during the cold winter months. Yes. And so Most Blessed Sacrament in Oshkosh um, was the the spot that stepped forward, um, again, 13 years ago, and offered the basement of their old grade school um, for day-by-day to operate six months out of the year for the cold winter um, and run as an overnight shelter. And then in 2020 is where we really enhanced these daytime programs and services when no other social service uh, business or organization was open during the pandemic, and everyone was told to stay home and shelter in place. Mm. But what happens when you don't have a home right. and you have nowhere to shelter? Yeah, yeah. So did they did they shelter there? 
Um, so we weren't able to provide any overnight shelter services uh, during the summer. We could only open from October 15th to April 15th. Okay, okay. So that's how these daytime services and programs got started is because we were like, well, if we can't have them here at night, we might as well give them opportunity to move forward during the day and feel better. So that's that's how this kind of all came to be. Now, as of May 15th of 2023, we did move um, into our very own building um we are actually we we built and we designed and built and raised money um for the for the state of wisconsin's first ever purpose-built shelter which is where i'm sitting today um and now we accommodate people who are homeless 365 days per year marvelous do you still maintain any relationship with the most blessed sacrament parish Yes, so they still come to our new facility every Tuesday morning and do prayer group here. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm... and many of our many of our guests still uh, go to church there. Okay, I'm curious. Uh, how do you have any idea how many homeless individuals there are in Oshkosh? We served just under 400 in 2023. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, now, that doesn't include families or children, um, and that's just our shelter. So, um, and again, we're like the single low-barrier shelter, which means that we take those um, people that generally no one else will take, or again, they fall into that, um, they're just an individual, you know, they they have children, but their children don't live with them, mm-hmm. um, and so... Um, I know we know the numbers have tripled in the last three years. Um, so between us, we have a domestic abuse shelter in town. We do have Father Cars, which is our Catholic homeless shelter, but they're more of a um, more of a boarding house type, um, and you can you can have men, women, and children there. And mm-hmm. then we do have a Cots transitional living program as well. So between all of us, and then we also just built a tiny home village um, for families. So people with small children who are trying to get back on their feet. Yeah. So we do have a plethora of um, homeless services in in our city. So probably adding all of those up, I'm not quite sure what that number is. But just here at Day by Day, we, we serve just under 400. Very good. I, I used to work uh, with a group called Genesis House in Detroit, which was, uh, it was temporary uh, housing for families uh, that for one reason or other had become homeless uh, and they wanted it took time for them to get back on their feet how long do people do the families stay uh, Mm -hmm. in your shelter Um, so we we, I I've had it so I'll, I'll be here four years this upcoming year and I've had it where I have seen someone once um, or they've stayed for a couple nights or a couple weeks, and then I've had it where I've celebrated my fourth Christmas with certain individuals. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's kind of, um, it varies for everyone. Mm-hmm. Now, how did, what kind of uh, interaction did mm-hmm. members of the parish have with the homeless individuals when you first got started? Yeah, so um, 
I, I wasn't there 13 years ago, so I can't speak on behalf of that. But I do believe that it was well-received. Um, and I do believe that people wanted to help as much as possible, which which we found all the way through, that people really wanted wanted to help. Um, yeah. no, and then just as we know, you know, with the pandemic kind of exasperated things, you know, addiction, drug use, um, that type of thing, we definitely saw an uptick in that as well. Um, and then... Um, maybe there was, you know, at that point, um, some de- decline in, you know, maybe, ser- you know, service at the shelter. However, um, I think people have always been really, really, really grateful and helpful and um, accommodating to to those who who were at the shelter. Absolutely. Very good. Why are people homeless? What are the causes of homelessness? Oh, so many, right? And and it varies by person. Um, I just spoke at a large meeting the other night, and someone continued to reference the addiction piece and mental health piece, and and I I did say, you know, that is only part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, do we do we have people in shelter who struggle with those things? Absolutely. Is that why they're homeless? Maybe, right? Because what comes first, the chicken or the egg? I, you know, it's hard to say, but um. But there are there are people who just fall on hard times. There are I mean, I we have a gentleman here right now with us, um, and because he work he works for us now, and I, I can't I can't think of one thing in his life that that he's done <laughs> done wrong. Yeah. Um, he's just the kindest human human being, and um, he's just fallen on hard times. He was he was his mother's caregiver and his mother ended up going into a nursing home and he then lost her apartment because mm. he couldn't afford to pay pay her her bills and so um you know he sleeps here every night he gets up in the morning he works for us um all morning long he he does some cleaning he does all the laundry um he's just a wonderful employee and then he goes and visits his mother in the nursing home all afternoon Hmm. And then he walks back here at night to sleep. And so, you know, I can't, I can't look at him and, and come up with any other reason why he'd be homeless except for it was just a really bad circum. It was just a really bad situation. It was yeah. just an unfortunate circumstance. Yeah. So mm-hmm. people like that just break your heart. Yeah, certainly, uh, certainly they do. Uh, what could you just give me a ballpark percentage of those who are there because of mental illness? Or, and or uh, addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say half. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was just I was mm-hmm. curious. And we sleep. Yeah, like I said, we sleep fifty people here per night. So, mm-hmm. I would say half. We have um, in the last year we had an overwhelming amount of older adults come to use our shelter. So fifty-five and over. Um, and then the other demographic, demographic that's really increased is uh, the 18 to 24. So generally, really? though, the, yeah. So generally, though, the 55 and over, I um, I would say most of them who are in shelter right now do not suffer from addic- addiction. Um, they're not are active, you know, drug users or anything like that. 
um, a few of them may have a little, you know, some mental health concerns, but nothing, um, nothing that raises like, re- like large red flags, right? So a lot of them just the bad divorces, yep. um, you know, things like that. Um, the eighteen to twenty-four year olds—that's where you're kind of seeing a lot of that other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how how do you raise support, financial support? Yeah, so we are 100% funded by, yes, um, I mean, we, we do get some small um, grants from from the state, but, but not, not a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, everything is just raised through the kindness of our, the people in our community. Hmm. Very good. Mm-hmm. Um, has that, has that, that always been the case? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's good. It's just it's just a little harder now with us being a three hundred and sixty five day operation. Your expenses have gone up. Is that what you yeah mean? yeah significantly? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, we do we do about twelve hundred loads of laundry a month. Um, we do um, you know everyone is allowed to shower here each day. We do everybody's personal laundry plus all their bedding. Um, we we provide a dinner, a hot dinner, and a continental breakfast every morning. So you can imagine all of those prices, you know, all of those expenses yeah. have gone up. Yeah, no. Well, it sounds remarkable. Uh, how can people, you know, follow what you're doing? And uh, you got a good uh, website? Yeah, so our website is daybydayshelter.org. Okay. And then um, our um, our. Uh, Facebook page is Day by Day Shelter. Daybydayshelter.org and on yeah. Facebook, Day by Day Shelter. Day by Day Shelter. Molly, thanks for joining me. And, uh, thank you. W- wonderful work you're doing. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Have a, have a great evening. Thank you again. That was uh, Molly Yatso-Butz. She is the Executive Director of the Day by Day Shelter in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. John, chapter 8, verse 51. Jesus is in a discussion with some of the leaders of the Jews. They're talking about Abraham. Abraham lived 1,500 years before the time of Jesus. So in the course of the discussion, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. He says that often in the Gospels. He who keeps my word or believes in me will never die. To which the Jews say, Now we know you have a demon. And they say, Abraham died, as did the prophets. All the patriarchs, the great men and women of the history of Israel. All these people died, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets, who died? Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he was to see my day. He saw it and was glad. To which the Jews say, you are not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus answers, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Is the ecclesial ministry of the Catholic Church personal as well as sacramental and collegial in character? The Catechism says yes. Jesus Christ, the founder of the Catholic Church, calls his ministers personally when he says, follow me. The College of Bishops are related to the pontiff in Rome as Peter was related to the rest of the apostles. When Christ instituted the twelve apostles, he constituted them in a college or permanent assembly at the head of which he placed Peter, the rock of his church. Our Lord gave Peter the keys to his church, designating him the shepherd of the whole flock. 
The power Christ gave Peter to loose and to bind was also given to the College of the Apostles united to its head. This pastoral office of Peter and the other apostles belongs to the church's very foundation and is continued by the bishops under the primacy of the Pope. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Beyond Damascus with Dan Demite and Aaron Richards is our show for young adults. Everybody's talking about encounter. Everybody's talking about that mountaintop experience. What we fail to often talk about is what happens after, what happens beyond that Damascus moment. Jesus Christ is calling all of us to be missionary disciples, disciples of Jesus who are on mission to bring the kingdom of God here and now on this earth. Beyond Damascus with Dan Demite and Aaron Richards, Saturday at 8 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Back by popular demand is our trip through Portugal, Spain, and France. We start with a day in Fatima, following all the steps of the Little Shepherds. Santiago de Compostela, the ending point for the El Camino, is the home of the largest incenser. Visit the tomb of St. James the Apostle. Three days in Lourdes, which is quite indescribable. You'll have to come and see it to believe it. To learn more about your Ave Maria Radio trip, find the Ave Maria Radio travel tab at AveMariaRadio.net. We are the pro-life generation, passionate about building the culture of life in our healthcare and in our nation. But not all healthcare options are equally pro-life, and some provide morally objectionable procedures. CMF Curo is different. CMF Curo is a pro-life Catholic healthcare ministry providing a pathway for its members to build the culture of life in their healthcare choices, not destroy it. Learn more about CMF Curo at mycatholichealthcare.com. That's mycatholichealthcare.com. The Catechism defines evangelization as the proclamation of Christ and His gospel by word and the testimony of life in fulfillment of Christ's command. But what does that look like in real life? It looks like the St. Paul Evangelization volunteers out on the street sharing the good news with people in a non-confrontational way, handing out free sacramentals, listening to them, praying for them, teaching them, planting seeds, and letting the Holy Spirit make them grow. Visit StreetEvangelization.com and learn more so you can get involved in real-life evangelization. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Coming up on the Sunday Mass, or, or weekend Mass, if you go to Vigil on Saturday, you're going to be hearing uh, from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. It's a very famous passage. It's the call of the fishermen, where Jesus calls those uh, to become fishers of men. And joining us right now to lead us in an extended reflection on this passage is Peggy Stanton. Peggy is the author of From the White House to the White Cross. She's a dame of the Order of Malta, was ABC News' first female Washington correspondent, and has hosted many programs on Ave Maria Radio, including the Malta Minute with the Catechism, should mention, too, that her newest book is The Order of Malta, Minutes with the Catechism. So what started out as uh, radio reflections has now been uh, put into a book. Peggy, good to have you back here. Thanks. With you. So nice to see have you again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had a tough... Last week was tough. Yeah, you did. Yeah, a real bad chest cold. But mm. it's good to be back. And... Uh, what I'll do is, as I usually do, I'll read the passage, and then we'll get to uh, what you've discovered about it. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. 
After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As he passed by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting their nets into the sea. They were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Come after me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Then they abandoned their nets and followed him. He walked along a little farther and saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They too were in a boat, mending their nets. Then he called them. So they left their father Zebedee in the boat, along with the hired men, and followed him. Again, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. I have to say before we start, this is one of those passages of Scripture which seems, in my mind, is unnecessarily minimalistic. (laughs) (laughs) I I agree with you, Al. So many questions that come to mind about these, these men... Uh, what was the, what were, what were the antecedents? You know, how did yeah, Jesus recognize right, them? Right. You know. Yeah. Anyway, and how the family? I love the last passage. So they left their father Zebedee in the boat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye, Pop. <laughs> so, You're on your own. You, you yeah. Hope you got a good uh, fishing rod. <laughs> yeah. It just. I've often. Uh, uh, I think I asked, speculated on this with you before, uh, as to, uh, and and I thought about it often when I was young. Uh, what was it, if if it was that sudden, and and as you say, you don't know what the antecedent was, so there may have been, you know, a previous uh, acquaintanceship with Jesus or uh, seen him or sure. heard mm-hmm. about him or whatever. But let's say if it's the way the gospel gives it to us, what was it? Is here's this man walking along the shore and calls to them, "Follow me." <laughs> they get out of the yeah. boat and just follow him. I mean, he must have had uh, an extraordinary uh, countenance in a way. I mean, his eyes. I always thought it was something about his eyes, the, the way he would look at people. Yeah, some something that when they encountered him, they there's no time to dilly dally here. Let's just <laughs> follow this. We're going to follow him right now. So, well, of course, when you think about it, he was God as well as yes, man. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So there had to be a tremendous supernatural power emanating from him. Yeah. Um, well, the the um, a Didache Bible focuses uh, more on the conversion aspect of this than uh, so much the the call. I mean, well, it is the call. I should say, I shouldn't say that. It is the call. He's saying, uh, repent, uh, repent uh, the, the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, but the, the Bible talks about <clears throat> what conversion is rather than discipleship. Uh, um, which some interpretations of this gospel really focus all on discipleship. Mm. So this is what the Didache says. It says, it concentrates on the call of our Lord to repent and believe in the gospel. And uh, the Greek word metanoia, which was a favorite word of my mother's, 
<laughs> yeah, uh, means a profound uh, conversion of heart. Mm-hmm. This grace of conversion and the capacity for holiness is conferred to the faithful in baptism. The apostles prompt acceptance and unconditional response, which we just talked about, to the call of Christ, exemplifies the proper dispositions to embrace discipleship. Repentance is not reserved, this is such a good point, for only the beginning of the Christian life, but must be a constant disposition throughout each day of our lives. Lent is a special time to elicit conversion through prayer and penance. Then, of course, the Didache goes ahead and cites the following paragraphs from the Catechism from which uh, it distilled this summation. And again, talks about the kingdom of God is at hand. How often our Lord says that, right? Yes, yes. Uh, The time is fulfilled, he says. Uh, Repent and believe in the gospel to carry out the will of his Father. Christ inaugurated the kingdom of heaven on earth. Now the Father's will is to raise up men to share in his own divine life. I hadn't thought of it as the Father raising up men. I mean, I think of Christ raising up man, but um, I like that image. Yeah. I like thinking of the Father, you know, uh, in the background there, um, seeing to it that his, his son has all the tools he needs, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, it is, I mean, it, it, Jesus is uh, on a mission uh, from the Father. Right. Yeah, so the Father certainly overseeing uh, mm-hmm. This project, you might say. Yeah, right, right. Um, this gathering is the church on earth, the seed and beginning of the kingdom. And paragraph 542 says, Christ stands at the heart of this gathering of men into the family of God by his word through signs that manifest the reign of God and by sending out his disciples Jesus calls all people to come together around him. But above all, in the great Paschal mystery, his death on the cross and his resurrection, he would accomplish the coming of the kingdom. And I, he said, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Into this union with Christ, all men are called. And I wish they'd hurry up and get to him. (laughs) (laughs) Paragraph 1422, those who approach the sacrament of penance obtain pardon from God's mercy for the offense committed against him and are at the same time reconciled with the church, which they have also wounded by their sins. And we don't think about that much. No, no, I agree. I think that's, we, we tend to think, we tend to think of sin as something that affects us, uh, mm-hmm. our soul, mm-hmm. uh, right. uh, puts a black mark on your soul, or somehow deforms uh, your soul. Um, but really, in the church's understanding of it, uh, our sins are not just personal. Um, mm-hmm. They affect our corporate identity mm-hmm. as uh, Christ's body on earth, and that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, and uh, uh, it's hard sometimes to see that 
on a, shall we say, local or more individual level, but I t it's very, very visible of, uh, in wartime, isn't it? The sins of, of the people who initiate uh, oh. the war and how it affects the, the thousands and millions of people beyond them. Yeah. This, those are decisions that are made by civil authorities mm -hmm. for which they have to bear responsibility. Um, uh, but it's, yes, so in that case, I mean, we can see the consequences of sinful choices. Mm -hmm. um, and that is, war is, uh, it, we are fairly tolerant of war. Uh, yeah, much more so yeah, than we should be. I think so. I, when you go back and look at, when we get historical distance from mm -hmm. wars, very few wars end up looking like just wars, mm -hmm. as you get re as you get mm -hmm. some distance on them. Right. And um, you know, I would think that uh, certainly in my life, as I've learned more and more about history, uh, I've become less and less. Um, less and less willing uh, to say uh, this is a just war. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. There are other, well, let's, uh, let's go back to the text. <laughs> yeah, well, I think uh, I just add that um, Pope Francis said war is always a defeat. I think that's a very... Yeah, that John Paul II one. said that. That's, uh, did he? Yeah. He yeah. said the same thing? Yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> was uh, war Francis plagiarizing? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> war is always a defeat for humanity. Mm -hmm. yeah. So paragraph 1427 talks again about Jesus calling to conversion. And uh, he says this is call is an essential part of the proclamation of the kingdom. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It seems like this phrase is almost a mantra of the gospel. The Lord says it all the time. Right. right. In the church's preaching, this call is addressed first to those who do not yet know Christ and his gospel. Also, baptism is the principal place for the first and fundamental conversion but uh, is it uh, St. Paul or St. Augustine who said that there are two kinds of conversion, the conversion of water and conversion of tears, which mm. is uh, yeah. gen genuine repentance that may come much later in life after baptism. Yeah, the grace, the grace uh, of the sacraments can show up. I like to say that I fell away from the Catholic faith Mm -hmm. But I mm -hmm. did have an adult conversion to Christ, but it yeah, took another 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> but from, in my case, it took another 20 years mm -hmm. for the grace of my baptism to actually draw me back to the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. Peggy, hold it there. We'll take a break and continue our conversation looking at this Sunday's Gospel reading, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 20, The Call of the Fishermen. Catechism in a Year with me, Father Mike Schmitz, is now available right here on Catholic Radio. Encounter God's plan of sheer goodness for us, revealed in Scripture and passed down through the tradition of the Catholic faith. 
as we journey together toward our heavenly home. Bible in a Year and Catechism in a Year with Father Mike Schmitz tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on EWTN Radio. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US1. That's realestateforlife.org. Accidents are the leading cause of life-threatening injuries, but few Americans are prepared. My Life Angels creates your pro-life healthcare durable power of attorney, accessible anytime on smartphones, and alerts loved ones if you enter a hospital ER, empowering them to protect you. You can protect yourself and your family. Use code AVE at checkout today, and My Life Angels will donate 35% of your initial membership to Ave Maria Radio. More information at MyLifeAngels.com. Support for this Ave Maria radio program comes in part by the non-for-profit St. Anthony Services. Are you shopping for mortgage products, Catholic investing, Catholic health, real estate, or estate planning? StAnthonyServices.org can help you find a Catholic professional for these needs. They regularly connect faithful citizens with faith-based professionals that share our Christian values. More information at StAnthonyServices.org or 877-LIFE-US1. Father Benedict Rochelle. Brothers and sisters, we got to tell the truth in this country. For heaven's sakes, I wouldn't want to go to a synagogue and find that they were having a Muslim service. I wouldn't want to go to a mosque and run into a Baptist service. I don't want to go to a Baptist church and find out that they're having mass. We've got to be honest to ourselves. We've got to be what we are. I'd rather a good old-fashioned, honest agnostic than a phony Christian any day of the week. There are reluctant agnostics. There are atheists who are searching for God, and they may find Him. But somebody who says they're doing something in the name of God and the name of Christ, and God and Christ have nothing to do with it, is violating this commandment. I am the Lord your God. You shall not take my name in vain. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popchak. Make family life the most important activity on your calendar. Parents often worry about losing their kids' hearts to peers, to the culture, or to the media. But simply restricting your kids' access to friends, culture, or media isn't the answer. Spending more time with them is. Kids give their hearts to the people and things they spend the most time with. If we're not making daily family time the most important activity on our schedule, we're effectively giving our kids permission to give their hearts to someone other than us. Putting family time first and scheduling other activities around it is one of the most important practices Catholic families can have. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com. Good 
Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. We continue with the call of the fishermen, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. My guest is Peggy Stanton, who leads us in these reflections uh, every week. Uh, so we're, it makes us a little sharper uh, when we hear the gospel reading on the Saturday vigil or Sunday morning. You know, there's something, Peggy, I, that occurred to me um, as we were, you know, t- talking, and I didn't make the point uh, last segment, but there's it, it, that phrase, then they abandoned their nets and followed him. The New American Bible uh, leaves untranslated a little word there uh, in the Greek, and it's the word which is translated immediately. Then they abandoned their nets and immediately followed him, is what the Greek text has. Yeah, and Mark uses that, I think it's Mark, uh, that if you read through his gospel, it immediately is a word that seems to be repeated all the time. It's the speedy that? gospel, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, Mark is. It, yeah. That's one of the characteristics of his writing. Uh, it's, it's, it's sharp, it's fast, it's unadorned. Yeah. Yeah, and in case you didn't get it, he uses the word immediately. <laughs> it does. He does in many places. All the time. Hey, reader, if you haven't noticed, uh, this happened immediately. <laughs> you know, I think it's also interesting that in this passage, uh, you've got Simon and Andrew, and you've got mm-hmm. James and John. Mm-hmm. Um, Simon, uh, Peter, uh, Simon, Peter and James and John are actually become Jesus's inner circle. Yeah. Those become his most mm-hmm. intimate friends. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's interesting. They're right here at the yeah. beginning of the Gospel of Mark. I, I don't know why Andrew never got into that yeah. inner circle, but it, because he's the one who told Peter. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah very strange. Yeah, but it's worth worth pointing out. I think. Yeah, it is. That that's a that's a very interesting point. Um, and in paragraph fourteen twenty eight of the Catechism, you know, we were discussing before the break the fa- the um, call to conversion is an ongoing call. You yeah. you can have a great return to the faith that you talked about, and it happened to me too. Um, but that just because you have a um, kind of a bombshell, <laughs> you then have to have little bullets all all along the way to keep you going yeah. and and converted to the end. It says Christ's call to conversion continues to resound in the lives of Christians. This second conversion is an uninterrupted task for the whole church, clasping sinners to her bosom is at once holy and always in need of perfection and follows constantly the path of penance and renewal. This I, think, indi- uh, I think purification is the word there, not perfection. Oh, I'm, what did I say? You said perfection. Yeah. Oh, I didn't hear me say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Al. Purification and follows constantly the path of penance and renewal. This endeavor of conversion is not just a human work. It is the movement of a contrite heart drawn and moved by grace to respond to the merciful love of God who loved us first. And I like this part. Paragraph 878 says, Finally, it belongs to the sacramental nature of ecclesial ministry that it have a personal 
character. Although Christ's ministers act in communion with one another, they also always act in a personal way. Each one is called personally. You follow me. Mm. In order to be a personal witness within the common mission, to bear a personal responsibility before him who gives the mission, acting in his person and for other persons, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, you say, you know, in a very personal way, mm -hmm. or I absolve mm -hmm. you, the priest says, from your sins. Then we have, um, th that's, that's all we have from the catechism on this gospel, but then we have our friend Monsignor Charles Pope, yeah. pastor, speaker, columnist in Washington, D.C., who uh, in his uh, column in the National Catholic Register this week drills down on discipleship itself and points out that uh, Jesus' first followers, just like you were saying, were fishermen. And he catalogs, I hadn't really thought of this, uh, I don't know whether you had, he had catalogs the good qualities of fishermen. They are patient, because they're often waiting many hours, even days, for a catch. They're professional. They learn about all types of fish and their behaviors. They learn about navigation and the right times of day or night to fish. They are purposeful, totally focused on fishing, nothing else. They are pursuing. They go to the fish. Monsignor Pope says the key word for f disciples and evangelizers is go. Mm -hmm. And yeah. finally, uh, Father Pope says, fishermen are partnered. They work in teams. Jesus sends his disciples out two by two. Yeah. And here they're I, called two by two. Yeah. 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 Which uh, I must say, it's a de definitely, if you may have noticed that, a much easier and joyful way to go. <laughs> <laughs> when you're partnering. Yeah. 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 Isn't it? Yeah. I, oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is, if you like your partner. <laughs> uh, but uh, let me ask you this question, um, which I have asked myself. Suppose uh, you were in that boat, and Christ came and said, or, or let's say Christ came today and said to you, follow me. I mean, would you be willing to drop everything and and immediately follow him? Well, one always hopes so, uh, that you'd have the grace to do that. Um, but think of all you'd be leaving behind. Right, and, and I, I, the thing that would, <laughs> the thing that would, this is funny, because... Uh, Who would take over your show? Right, I, I, I'd be thinking, <laughs> who's going to take care of the family? Who's going to take yeah, care right, of the ministry? Right, right. And, and uh, but, you know, this... Peter and Andrew, James and John had the same problem. I mean, we know with James and John, for instance, that they were they were commercial fishermen, mm -hmm. and they had their father Zebedee in the boat. Uh, yeah. with them. they had hired men, so they're probably a fairly successful commercial operation. Mm -hmm. And they take off, and in fact, in um, Sirach three sixteen, uh, it says those who knew. 
those who neglect their father are like blasphemers. <laughs> and so, you know, if they were, if they knew that passage, that would have had to go through their mind. Yeah. You know, do, do, what are we going to do? Going to leave dad here? I mean, <laughs> how old is he? You know? How, yeah, right. So, yeah, I think, I think, I think for all of us, we would, we would be hung up about responsibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do I abandon my current responsibilities in order to follow him? Mm-hmm. And that's why this, and I, it would it'd be hard for me to say uh, that I would just go. I'd, I'd want to make sure that everything was taken care of. Yeah, just like that, um, uh, the, the the fellow who said, "Oh, let me go bury my dead yeah. first. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the Lord said, "Let the bear, uh, dead bury their dead." Right. That's an interesting line. That means that mean dead of soul bury their dead. Um, uh, and and uh, he who does not put me above everything else is not worthy yeah. of me. Yeah, and you, and you have to, you know, you may be called to uh, leave mother and father, sister mm-hmm. and brother. Mm-hmm. They may actually become uh, barriers, obstacles to mm-hmm. your being a faithful disciple. And, well, think uh, about Mother Teresa at 18. Left yeah. her family, never saw her mother again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, just, it's very, it's a very, this is why this passage is is so fascinating. All these questions that you're raising right now mm-hmm. are left unanswered. Right. You know, yeah. the, we, so you look at them and you say, how could they do it? What did they encounter mm-hmm. in Jesus that made their leaving, um, you know, leaving Father, leaving the commercial enterprise that they had built up? What did they encounter in Jesus that made it a responsible decision to leave all that stuff behind and follow him. Mm-hmm. Do you suppose that the, the when our Lord wants to unleash all of his divine power, or a great deal of it, more than, say, he does in other circumstances, and when he, it is so powerful that it was almost impossible to resist? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would think something very special happened here. Uh, it, I, it has I, to have. Yeah, I mean, look, he, there's a complete abandonment yeah. of both their occupation, uh, their commercial enterprise, mm-hmm. and their abandonment of their father. Mm-hmm. And you know, the father, what's he thinking here? I mean, in the social context of the day, uh, family obligations were just paramount. Uh, as I said in Sirach three. Uh, if you you know abandon your father, you're like a blasphemer. Right. Well, and then you have the element of uh, conversion is here too. You can't assume that these fellows were saints. <laughs> yeah, that's before, good. Yeah. You know, and and so they had to experience in those moments uh, a, a very immediate kind of conversion. And we talked about the fact that it has to continue to go on and on day after day, but something um, must have uh, propelled uh, that conversion, that initial conversion, right there on the spot. Yes, and it's interesting because this little uh, pericope, as they say, this little uh, section, uh, 
uh, starts out by saying the kingdom of God is at hand, repent Mm -hmm. and believe in the gospel. Mm -hmm. And I suspect that Simon and Andrew, James and John, following that command, repent Mm -hmm. and believe in the gospel, Mm -hmm. my guess is that they're presented as examples Mm -hmm. of those who repent and believe in the gospel. So, Well, you know that that word repent, um, even when we've had this discussion, is anybody in hell? Um, (laughs) Oh, with Pope Francis. Right, right, with Pope Francis' uh, uh, statement. In a way, I can understand what he's saying in in that every person who goes to hell is a victory for Satan, something our Lord would never want to see, right? (laughs) Right. And yet, uh, but 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 the point is, you have to repent. Uh, you can't. He, the Lord, makes that extremely clear yeah. that uh, without repentance, you're in big trouble. Yeah, you turn from your sin and you turn towards God. That's what metanoia means. There, it's a turning, uh, and it goes it goes very deep. And, and it has case, to be continual turning, right? Yes. Yes. And in this case, though, this initial turning with mm-hmm. Simon and Andrew and James and John, they're turning away from their occupation. Mm-hmm. They're turning away from their family. Mm-hmm. And we wish we knew what their family was thinking. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I was going over some early messages of the Blessed Mother in Medjugorje, and I was struck by the fact how often she talked about conversion. Almost every message has some element uh, uh, urging people to conversion. Yeah, and well, it, it this is clear, on, the ongoing yeah. work, mm-hmm. right? I mm-hmm. mean, this is our ongoing work. The, the, the project is conformity to Christ. Mm-hmm. We are supposed to be working towards sainthood and mm-hmm. uh, praying that we'd have the grace to make those decisions, turning away from sin and turning towards God Mm -hmm. uh, until the day in which we have perfect conformity to Christ and are united with Him uh, completely for all eternity. A huge goal. Yeah, yeah. Peggy, thanks. Thank you. Good talking with you again. Peggy Stanton, The Call of the Fisherman. I'm Al Cruster. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844 398 9399. That's 844 398 9399. Never miss an episode of Cresta in the Afternoon. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen on demand at AveMariaRadio.net and on the Ave Maria Radio app. Dr. Ray Garendi. What's looking back at you at age 22? What do you hope to say about that child at age 22? If you're content to say, well... Way kids are turning out nowadays, counting my blessings. Parole officer says one of the nicest children he has. 
Or would you rather say he's one in a hundred? Morals, compassion, seeks God. Are you prepared to be a one in a hundred parent then? You can't parent like the bulk of parents anymore. You will supervise far higher. You will screen out toxic media sewage at a rate unlike all of your friends, perhaps your family. No guarantees as to what will be looking back at you at age 22. But you want to be able to say, I think he's one in a hundred. Then you be a one in a hundred parent. With so much going on in the world, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. What do you need to know today? Stay tuned to Cresta in the Afternoon and Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio as we bring you the day's top stories and conversations from an authentic Catholic perspective. Well, I'd like to give uh, congratulations out. Uh, I shared this on Tuesday, uh, but I, I want to share it once again, uh, that we've got uh, Ron Belter and his great team at Sacred Heart Radio uh, with their 23 years of service. They've got 12 a.m. and FM stations covering Washington State and Kodiak, Alaska, and all of us here at EWTN want to just say congratulations, uh, Ron, for all the work that you've done. You've been a real pioneer. I'm Al Cresto. from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. We've got a great hour ahead of us here with Dr. Carrie Gress. She, her newest book, The End of Woman, how smashing the patriarchy has destroyed us. This is a real uh, intense look at the origins of modern feminism. And uh, we'll go back, I mean, you can go back to the uh, the French Revolution on this, uh, and even before. Uh, but you'll be surprised as she traces the history here. And of course, you have to ask the question, too, what was the problem that feminism was supposed to solve? In other words, if if it was aiming to solve uh, particular problems, uh, was it successful? Uh, so that's coming up in this hour, and uh, this will be there's the stories that she Gary has um, used throughout this book in illustration. Some of them are just plain shocking, and they're significant. They're not just shocking, but they're significant. So. Uh, Stay with us. We're going to take a look at how smashing the patriarchy has destroyed us. It's Carrie Gress with me, The End of Woman. Let's go first, though, to the headlines. Thanks, Al. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News for Thursday, January 18th. It's the feast of St. Margaret of Hungary. Today's news brought to you by Charity Mobile, supporting pro-life and Catholic causes at CharityMobile.com. A stopgap funding bill is headed to the House after being approved by the Senate. 
The House and the Senate are racing to pass a funding extension before tomorrow's deadline and before a snowstorm hits Washington, D.C. The House is now expected to vote on the measure later this afternoon or early evening. A newly released federal report on the Uvalde school shooting shows there was, quote, cascading failures of leadership during the attack that killed 19 students and two teachers. Attorney General Merrick Garland says law enforcement response was a series of failures. Failures in leadership, in tactics, in communications, in training, and in preparedness. Garland says the lack of training led to a botched response and that failures in communication that day led to extensive misinformation. Took cops 77 minutes to breach the classroom and take out the gunman. The U.S. is defending further strikes against the Yemen-based Houthis militia. These strikes will continue for as long as they need to continue to uh, to try to disrupt and degrade the Houthis' ability to continue to conduct these attacks. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby saying the nation isn't looking for more conflict in the region, but needs to be able to defend itself. President Biden saying today there will be more responses to the attacks of the Iranian-backed terrorist groups against merchant vessels in the Red Sea. And forecasters are saying back-to-back winter storms will dump snow from as far west as Wyoming all the way to New York heading into the weekend. The result could be up to six inches of snow in some areas with more than a foot of snow possible in higher elevations. In Washington, D.C., there's a 70% chance of snow during tomorrow's March for Life. From your AlveMariaRadio.net news desk... I'm Steve Clark. And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Joining me in this hour is Dr. Carrie Gress. She got her doctorate in philosophy from Catholic University of America. She's the author of, I think, 10 books now, uh, including the books Theology of Home, a few volumes there, and The Anti-Mary Exposed. She's also editor at the Catholic Women's Online Magazine, Theology of Home, and she's a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. You can follow her work at carriegress.com, that's G-R-E-S-S, and theologyofhome.com. Her most recent book is The End of Woman. How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us. Carrie, thanks for joining me again. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's always great to be on with you, Al. Let's start with the question, what was the problem, what was the problem that feminism Mm -hmm. was supposed to be the solution for? Yeah, well, feminism has really been trying to improve women's lives. And, um, you know, as I researched this book, I went back to the first wave of feminism and and really thought, you know, I'm going to find some nice stuff there, and then I can kind of abandon the first wave and move on to the second (laughs) wave, which, of course, you know, everybody says it's been hijacked. Um, But I I found some, you know, radically different data than I was expecting to find and um, really discovered that, that a lot of the errors that were made in the second wave actually got their foundation in the first wave. And I think one of those errors was instead of trying to help women as women, um, feminism has really pushed this idea of trying to make women more like men. And, you know, when you start seeing the movement from that question from almost the very beginning, it it really makes sense, the whole trajectory and how we've gotten to this point where we can't define what a woman is. And we also, um, you know, a lot of women are being pushed into being men. We're seeing this with the whole trans craze. So anyway, it's it's definitely all... um, you know, been very loaded from the beginning, I think. Uh, The word patriarchy, what does that Mm -hmm. mean? 
So patriarchy is this typical idea of Judeo-Christian concept, very ancient uh, in terms of the order that we have um, God instilled in the world. It's, you know, it's God, patriarchy, um, or the man, um, the woman who's a helpmate, um, and then they have dominion over creation. And, uh, you know, this was one of the most startling concepts that I, I discovered, but not just in, in this book, but also I think it was pretty evident when I in my book, The Anti-Mary Exposed, but um, just seeing how feminism really turned that on its head. And again, back in the 1800s, you had people who were tinkering with Genesis and trying to make uh, the temptation of Eve into something that was good, where the serpent yes. is giving Eve an opportunity. And when you see it through that lens, you can you realize, right. you know, you've got the serpent who's talking to Eve, and she has that, therefore dominion over everything. Yeah. And um, men and God, of course, are he's there to them. elevate her consciousness. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was yeah. the very first um, consciousness raising event. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's exactly right. Um, so anyway, but um, yes, ever since really the, the, um, the well, really, you can look at egalitarianism, which you can see very early in the 1800s being, playing a role in this idea of smashing the patriarchy and trying to um, really unseat men from any kind of authority that they have, whether it's in the household, um, e- even this idea of, of hierarchy. And of course, you right. know, the, the church is a hierarchy, but so is the military. Yeah. All of those things are, are part and parcel of what um, are considered smashing the patriarchy yeah. and the authority of men. Well, I really want, I do want to trace the history here because you've done a great job. And, um, mm-hmm. and uh, there are lots of names uh, to get acquainted yeah. with. <laughs> but I had an experience, it uh, had to be. T- it had to be almost 30 years ago now, uh, where I, my producer was a young woman from a well-known uh, Christian college, mm-hmm. and we were talking about um, what, is, what is woman, what is man. And I mentioned, I said, well, certainly what's distinctive about woman is that she can bear life, be a mother. And this young lady was absolutely insulted that I would refer to uh, woman or mother as uh, you know part part of the essential definition of woman. Right. And mm-hmm. this was again a, this is a good Christian uh, young lady, but she mm-hmm. found that to be insulting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> wild. No, and I am dealing with this a lot. It's really interesting to see. How much anger and um, and really just that you, you realize how much the word motherhood has been denigrated by the last fifty years. I mean, if you think about it, we haven't said anything good about motherhood for fifty years as a culture. Um, it's absolutely been supplanted with this idea of career, and um, you know that's a real problem, obviously, for Christians because we're not called to careers, we're, we're called to vocations, we're yeah. called to the natural law, which is, you know, the propagation of children and their, their education, um, you know, and men are called to be fathers, it's just in, this, in the same thing, they're not called to be worker, workers either, work is what is a means to an end, but yeah. isn't, isn't the end, and I think that that's, th- these ideas have been, many of them have been absorbed by um, Catholics in, in very subtle ways that haven't been corrected, and I'm discovering that more and more, you know, as the weeks go by, as this once since this book has been released. Well, let's go back to the first feminist, uh, Mary Wollstonecraft, uh, mm-hmm. seventeen fifty nine to seventeen ninety seven. 
uh, I venture to say many of our listeners uh, wouldn't think of her as the yeah. you know the foremother of feminism. Yeah, yeah. Many probably have never heard of her. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she was a, a thinker that was um, a contemporary of Thomas Paine. She was an English woman that was really ca- you know, captivated by the French Revolution and called herself a Republican in, in the sense of the, the, the French Republic, not in the contemporary sense of republicanism. Um, so focused on er- eradicating the monarchy, um, making the state much more in, in control, um, and, you know, just really wanted to see radical change. She was also a, a friend of Thomas Paine, who he was very much focused on this idea of egalitarianism, and you can see that in her political writing. Um, so she ends up writing a, a, a piece called A Vindication for the Rights of Woman, and this sort of has people look to as the, you know, first feminist document that, that was written, um, and it's it's very interesting. I mean, I highlight it in my book because of the fact that she is so focused on this idea of egalitarianism and really tearing down certainly monarchy, but also the church and um, military hi- hierarchy. All of that has to come down. And so that's, I, I think, one of the, the main pieces that she brought, uh, the significant piece that she brought to what is sort of my working definition of feminism. So it's this idea of egalitarianism, smashing the patriarchy, um, it was actually her husband, uh, William Godwin, whom she was married to for a very brief, very brief time. She died delivering their child, um, who was Mary Godwin, who became Mary Godwin Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein. Um, so William Godwin, who's Mary Shelley's father, Mary Wollstonecraft's husband, um, he actually was very well-known anarchist and was very outspoken about um, the, the idea of free love or getting rid of... Um, any kind of uh, you know sexual mores about uh, related to the family, but they decided and, to uh, marry. Yeah, isn't that the astounding thing? Yeah. I mean, it, it just tells you, like, well, how convicted were they of these <laughs> ideas? But right. much of that, I think, was was Mary Wollstonecraft already had a daughter out of wedlock, and I think she saw how hard it was for her child, mm. and so she didn't want to have another child out of wedlock and and have things compounded even further. Um, so I think that was much of the the motivation. But um, yeah, so the two of them get together. They have uh, their daughter. Mary Wollstonecraft, like I said, dies in um, child shortly after childbirth, and their daughter marries Percy Shelley, who's the English Enlightenment poet, and he takes the idea from the two ideas I just mentioned from uh, Wollstonecraft and Shelley, or from Godwin, rather, um, the ideas of egalitarianism and free love, and he takes those and he adds to them this idea of the occult. And it's those three things that end up becoming... Um, what feminism really was throughout the 1800s. Obviously, there were pockets of, of feminists that were not, you know, weren't weren't focused on that. But if you look at the kind of the trajectory of feminism, you can see these three threads really up to our our modern day. Uh, name uh, those three threads again, would you? Yeah, egalitarianism, free love, and the occult. Wow. Um, and all of them are obviously incredibly vibrant in our, our current culture. But they started. And this this person that Percy Shelley made in his poetry, this woman named Cynthia, who was a this independent woman, and you know all of these three these pieces were all together to sort of promote her as this idealized woman that the feminists were were following the early feminists. So the 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 very first book that is in the feminist canon, a vindication of the rights mm-hmm. of woman, 
mm-hmm. this this wasn't this wasn't simply asking for uh, you know the right to serve on a jury or, or you know to no, vote no, no, or no. own property. Yeah. This was restructuring yeah. society. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that that's um, you know part of it is this idea of how do we restructure this? I mean, she even dedicated the book to Talleyrand, who had been. Uh, a cardinal and left the church when things got hot in um, in the French Revolution, and he was very much about restructuring society. So yes, absolutely, that's really at the heart of this: is how do we change things dramatically? Because you know, if you look around at that stage, it seemed like men had a much better life, and so it was just easier to start equating women more with men instead of again going down this trajectory of how do we help women as women? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you mentioned um, um, the Enlightenment. You also talk about the Romantic period, and uh, yeah. there's yeah. lots of parallels and lots of overlap uh, mm-hmm. between them. But mm-hmm. the, rom- the Romantic movement um, was, you know, push- pushing back against uh, the limitations of reason. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely anti-institutional. Um, mm-hmm. Give me some other characteristics of the Romantic movement and how it plays into this beginning of feminism. Yeah, um, no, I think that's a great question, and you know, a lot of these things are murky and hard to sort of unbraid from mm-hmm. each other and see these these different influences. And this is one of the reasons why I put so much history in. To this book, so see, people can sort of see this pattern that that emerges from it. Yeah. But um, so Wollstonecraft, of, of course, was a, was a romantic, and even her book, A Vindication of Rights of of Woman, her her own husband was critical of because he said, you know, this is just hard to read and it's a mess. And you know, when you read it, it it's it's really challenging. It's very um, emotive. There's a lot of repetition. Um, it, it's not systematic at all. And um, this was really something that characterized the romantics because they were they were pushing up against this idea of very strict logic of someone like Immanuel Kant. And they wanted um, the passion brought back into these and the mystery and all of these kinds. Not, not because they were had any kind of faith, but because they wanted these elements, of, you know, to exist in in the world. And so they were sort of pushing for them to come back in. So you see this in Mary Wollstonecraft's um, sort of romantic notions. You see this in her husband's. He was also romantic in the sense of, you know, how do we ba- how do we disengage all of these oppressive mores from, from the culture? And then, of course, in, in their son-in-law, Percy Shelley, who's sort of quintessentially a, a romantic poet with all kinds of drama. I mean, this is a man whose life was just full of drama, much of it his own creation. Um, he was really just an, an awful character, actually. But he had this belief that, you know, nothing could stop him, um, of course, until he died in a boating accident when he was 29 years old. But he just lived this life of, you know, he, he wanted to, to press all the taboos and do whatever he could. Yeah. And this is sort of the markings of the, the romantic movement in many respects. Carrie, hold it there. We've got to take a break. We'll continue on on the other side here. My guest, Dr. Carrie Gress, The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us. I'm Al Cresta. We're going to continue in just a moment. Can a church made up of sinners still be holy? St. Teresa, the little flower, says this about the Catholic Church. 
If the church was a body composed of different members, it could not lack the noblest of all. It must have a heart and a heart burning with love. And I realized that this love alone was the true motive force which ennobled the other members of the church to act. If it ceased to function, the apostles would forget to preach the gospel. The martyrs would refuse to shed their blood. Love, in fact, is the vocation which includes all others. It is a universe of its own, comprising all time and space. It is eternal. The Catholic Catechism tells us that our divine Lord, who knew nothing of sin, came only to expiate sin. So the Church embraces sinners in order to save them. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. I often have people ask me, aren't you scared when you talk about the issues such as abortion or uh, all the different ideologies, especially the gender ideology? I say, I'm scared of what I don't say if I'm not using this platform that God gave me wisely and well. If I'm not sharing information with people, if I'm not sharing the truth of the Catholic faith, I'm going to be held accountable, as is any one of us who has a platform. And we all have a platform. The sizes and the extent are different. But every single person, especially if you have a computer and if you have a Facebook page or a Twitter account, you have a platform. And so we're all responsible to evangelize. And we may be fearful, but we move through that fear with trust that God is with us. He tells us he will give us the words. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio, Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. We are called to defend life from the rally to the march. EWTN brings you live coverage as the pro-life generation moves through the streets of the Capitol. Don't miss the March for Life, hosted by Lauren Ashburn from Washington. Coverage begins tomorrow at 8 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio and Television. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health-sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. This program brought to you in part by the following nonprofit, Christendom College. Looking for a life-changing experience this summer that will strengthen your child's faith and immerse them in a joyful Catholic culture? Well, send them to Christendom College's high school summer program, The Best Week Ever. It's located in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, and The Best Week Ever is one of those gifts that keeps on giving. You can learn more and apply at bestweekever.com. Mention Al Cresta when applying. That's bestweekever.com. Ave Maria School of Law is the Roman Catholic law school in the United States. Consistently ranked in the Princeton Review as one of the best and most conservative law schools, as well as pre-law's most devout law school. Ave Maria School of Law provides a traditional legal education while emphasizing how the law intersects with the Catholic intellectual tradition and natural law philosophy. Ave Maria School of Law, unabashedly Catholic, consistently excellent. For more information, visit AveMariaLaw.edu.
Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Carrie Gress, the author most recently of The End of a Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us. I, I want to go back to this, this reinterpretation of the fall, um, where mm-hmm. Satan becomes, you know, the, the consciousness raiser or the emancipator. Um, mm-hmm. h- how common a theme is that among these yeah. early feminists? I, this is one of the things that was really fascinating to me, was just how much of a hold this, this had on early feminists, because um, much of it was, was spread through this kind of, we would call it new agey, culty kind of, um, I don't, religion's not the right word for it, but this belief system created by this woman called um, Madame Blavatsky. She was oh, yeah. apparently some sort of Russian noble woman. Yeah, yeah. That, exactly, yeah. yeah. So she integrated that into her system, which involved voodoo and all kinds of things. Um, so she involved it in that. And then um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton actually was someone who picked up that idea very deliberately. And she was actually very anti-Christian. Um, she was a big promoter of theosophy, if not directly, she was indirectly. Which she she wrote this book with several other women who were actually adherents of theosophy um, that was called the Women's Bible. And it, it's sort of, it, you can still get it now. It's actually kind of comical. It feels a lot like an adolescent girl who's very upset with the Bible, and she just kind of goes through <laughs> and makes commentary on any place where men are mentioned and, you know, and authority. Um, but that was actually highly influential among um, the, the early feminists. And, of course, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony are, are considered really the mavens of right. of the movement, of the suffrage movement and all of that. So this wasn't some sort of backwater idea um, that, that wasn't engaged by the movement, but was very much put forward by... Um, by Katie Stanton and Susan B. Anthony. Well, this this is interesting because with Elizabeth Katie Stanton and Susan B. Anthony, you get the you know the first wave uh, feminism, mm-hmm. and that is usually mm-hmm. pointed out as the good feminism. Um, yeah, you know, the, yeah. The, 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 and in contrast right. to what begins in 1969 and gains momentum in the mm-hmm. 70s with uh, Ben right. Friedan. So so. Yeah. Um, t- I did not know Elizabeth Cady Stanton was in, into theosophy. That's <laughs> yeah, no, it's pretty amazing when you start seeing all the things that she really was into. I mean, even her idea for the Seneca Falls Convention, which people sort of mark as the the, the moment when the movement started, the suffrage movement started. Um, that was, she was very much involved in spiritualism and this idea of the table wrappings. There was this new great awakening happening in the United States after the Civil War and. Um, she is, or actually, I think that was probably, it was before the Civil War, but it, it took off after the Civil yeah, War. That, it begins, yeah, it begins in the, yeah. before the Civil War, but you're right. At the death, right. the amount of death of the Civil War has people longing to make contact with the deceased yeah. loved ones. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But that was going on before in New York, and she, Katie Sant was sitting at a table that was used for these wrappings, and she doesn't say explicitly that she got the idea. Um, from the spirits at the spirit table, but that that was what the table was used for, and she was very much in, involved in wow. this movement of the of spiritualism. So, yeah, she's she's a part of that. So she's got the occult piece. Um, she's you know very engaged in anti Christian activity, and um, then at one point she and Susan B. Anthony are, are you know they're struggling 
trying to make their version of um, the women's movement be the stronger one. They're fighting with another group who um, was not interested in the racial piece that Susan B. Anthony and mm-hmm. Katie Stanton were promoting. And um, so they bring on this woman, um, Victoria Woodhull, who was called Mrs. Satan by the press, actually, because she was a medium. Um, she had been a prostitute. She had she just was this crazy woman who had been given a huge amount of, of authority and really a platform, so to speak, in New York City. And they bring her on to speak. And what does she talk about? free love um and that you know ended up creating this huge scandal that really ruined and wiped out katie stanton's um authority and you know all of she was thrown off of out of her own organization um and it really set the suffrage movement back you know 30 years so i think we've we have this sense that they're you know these were very lovely sanguine women and when you start looking at it you know you see the racism you see the occultism you see the free love you see the attacks on religion you begin to realize that you know something much more sinister was actually going on wow. in the movement at that point than we even realized That's fascinating uh even susan b anthony <laughs> even susan b anthony susan yeah. b anthony was actually sort of a mouthpiece for the movement um because she didn't come up with the ideas herself katie stanton actually came up with the ideas um, and Susan B. Anthony didn't wasn't married, didn't have children, and so she was able to be the one that would go out and promote them. Um, but so she she didn't. A lot of the ideas were just Katie Stanton's ideas that Susan B. Anthony mm-hmm. regurgitated. And, okay, you know it's a, it's un, it's difficult because of course we hold these women up as great women because they were certainly pro life. Um, but I, I think that there's something much deeper, and you know maybe this is the reality is that. It's not enough just to be pro-life. There's got to be a real understanding of what womanhood is, of, of a proper anthropology, which, of course, the church has taught us for, you know, centuries. And um, so that's, I think, one of the reasons why things have gone so wrong is because we've gotten off on these bad anthropologies from um, from the two of them, yeah. and then moving forward, it just keeps getting worse. Was there was there a wing of that uh, first movement, of, you know, first wave of feminism that uh, tried to ground their thinking in Christian anthropology? You know, there's some of that. I mean, there and there's certainly women in writing and things that are, are beautiful um, that are taken from it. But I, I sort of tried to stick with the leaders. You know, you don't yeah. go back and read communist history and overlook Stalin and Lenin, you know what I mean? Right, <laughs> you have right. to look at who the leaders are and what is being carried down throughout history. And so that's what I really stuck to. But um, yeah, I think it's also a very tumultuous period. Like we mentioned, you've got, you know, electricity is just happening. You've had over 600,000 men in the United States killed by the war. You've got, you know, racism is, is an issue. You've got temperance. You've got suffrage. All of these things are really, um, you know, just so much tumult going on. So Certainly, you're going to find people who wrote things that were lovely and 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 good, but that's not really what carried the movement forward. Um, we get coming up then to the 1969, and then into the 70s. Um, mm-hmm. Betty Friedan is usually talked about in her book, The Feminine Mystique, which actually is 1963. Um, mm-hmm. So th- this was this second wave of feminism is gestating for a while. Is that right? It, it is actually, and this was another, uh, you know, area where I was completely blindsided when I finally started digging into it because I certainly knew about 
Betty Friedan, but I, I had no idea was the, the deep connection between her and communism that right. really, you know, feminism and communism had sort of been intertwined for decades by the time that Friedan is is writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of the things that I discovered. I know uh, you're, I'm sure, familiar with Bella Dodd, who was yes. very deep in the Communist Party, and um, she helped set up an organization called Congress for American Women in, uh, I think it was the 1930s. Um, it was all. It all happened before Whitaker Cha- the Whitaker Chamber trial. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but this organization was really for women. They were trying to radicalize, if I can use that word, or communize women, and get them involved so that when the communist revolution happened, they would be sort of the second tier of engagement after the men. They were also trying to get women to stop buying things because they didn't want to promote capitalism. And you know, Bella Dodd wrote these things very explicitly why this was set up. And eventually the organization had to be shut down because um, it was so clearly Soviet propaganda that the U.S. Congress shut it down. Mm. Um, But who was involved in this? Of course, Betty Friedan was involved in this, along with um, Eleanor Flexner, who wrote this book called Century of Struggle, which is sort of considered the history of the feminist movement, but it's it's written from a very Marxist angle. Um, you had a woman whose name is um, Susan B. Anthony II, who was actually Susan B. Anthony's niece, who's involved in it. All of these high-powered uh, women, whether it was from academia or politics or from, from commerce, were involved in this. And this is where I, I think a lot of the formation of Fredan happened. Um, but you could really see a lot of the ideas that Bella Dodd made when he, she helped set up the American, the Congress for American Women actually find their way into the, the feminine mystique. I found, you know, almost line by line an, wow. an exact um, quote that was used in the setting up of the Congress for American Women that's explained in the book. Um, so, yeah, Friedan was uh, always claimed to not be involved in politics or interested in women's issues until much later, you know, closer, like the 1950s. But if you go back and look at her early life, and there was a whole book written about her on this by actually a friend a friend of hers who thought it would be a good idea to expose how this woman was able to get around McCarthy and still promote these communist ideas. Um, oh. So it's a really incredible resource to see how much of the feminine mystique was really focused on trying to get women out of the home, trying to tell, you know, get their freedom through work. This is what the communists believe, and this is what really motivated for Dan was this idea of getting women out of the home. And she knew they wouldn't do it voluntarily. So she had to create an incentive psychologically, which was to say, home is a comfortable concentration camp, mm. and your freedom is going to be in the workplace outside the home. Years ago, I used to give a lecture on feminism, but focused on uh, Betty Friedan, Kate Millett, Jermaine Greer, mm-hmm. um, Gloria Steinem. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the the thing I remember, <laughs> I don't remember much of what I said, but one thing that I remember came to me as I was preparing for that talk many years ago was that these women ha- had terrible relationships with men prior to their activism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that was a real thread that, you know, I, I found throughout the whole book, almost every woman that is engaged, um, that that's featured in the book, had some sort of either issues with their parents, whether it was a mother or father, and then consequently relationship, terrible relationships with um, men and women, unfortunately. Um, really 
painful, broken, broken lives. And um, it, it, what's interesting is just the, the consistent pattern of the brokenness is to see how their their effort wasn't to sort of shore up the family or to go back to the Ten Commandments or go back to something um, that could be healing. It was It's always a push to, to liberalize more and to, to create more havoc and more brokenness. Yeah. And um, we certainly see that. Um, Kate, Mill- Kate Millett's probably the best example of that. Um, but yeah, it's incredibly sad. Carrie, hold it there. Come back, continue the conversation. My guest is uh, Carrie Gress. The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us. I'm Al Cresto. I didn't take my faith seriously, which which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. No, I didn't want to give up sin. I mean, the reason we sin is because sin is fun. But it's, it's self-love sin. But it's amazing with God's grace how easy trying to not sin it really is. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. CMF Curo is a Catholic health care ministry providing families nationwide with a better solution centered around whole health, spirit, mind, and body. Our members share their medical burdens within a faith-filled community. At CMF Curo, our members have access to a spiritual director, concierge services, and other health and spiritual resources. Find out if CMF Curo is a better solution for your family. Visit MyCatholicHealthCare.com. That's MyCatholicHealthCare.com. Accidents are the leading cause of life-threatening injuries, but few Americans are prepared. My Life Angels creates your pro-life healthcare durable power of attorney, accessible anytime on smartphones, and alerts loved ones if you enter a hospital ER, empowering them to protect you. You can protect yourself and your family. Use code AVE at checkout today, and My Life Angels will donate 35% of your initial membership to Ave Maria Radio. More information at MyLifeAngels.com. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Dr. Ray Garendi. What's the definition of frustration? Frustration is the difference between the way it is and the way you want it to be. It's hard to change the way it is. The way it is sometimes is other people, life, circumstances. The way you want it to be is in your power to change. You can close the gap between reality and what you want. The smaller that gap, the less your frustration. It is always easier to change oneself than to change reality. Frustration isn't always what happens out there. It is how we look at what happens out there. Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. John 6, 
verses uh, 48 to 58. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread, meaning me. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat of it and never die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh, at which the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're scandalized by this. How is it that we're not? How is it that we just hear this and go, Oh yeah, I know that passage. They're just outraged and at least perplexed. Sane people, inspired teachers, wise men, prophets don't say things like this. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me is Carrie Gress. She is the author of The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us. Uh, you know, I, I, I do want to get to restoration and uh, what we can do positively here. But before we go there, I've got to ask you about this notion of gender fluidity and transgenderism. And mm-hmm. I know that's created conflict with many feminists who mm-hmm. think that, um, you know, men claiming to be women uh, is actually an insult uh, to women. If you take a look at the Caitlyn Jenner uh, interview in Vanity Fair where he says he really enjoys being a woman because he can get together with the girls and talk about their nails and hair. <laughs> and so the essence of womanhood is, um, yeah. you know, yeah, looking like Cosmo. So... <clears throat> right. What is the relationship between feminism uh, and gender fluidity? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think this is a great point and and really an important one to just see the whole connection. And this is one of the things that I did in the book is really just map through, you know, how do we get from, uh, you know, the suffrage movement up to the, the trans movement and yeah. see them all of a piece. And again, it's this question, how do we become like men? But um, you know, you get someone like Simone de Beauvoir on the scene who is an existentialist and she believes that people, the biggest thing is authenticity, being authentically mm-hmm. who you are. Um, so you take that and you take some really bad science, um, uh, you know, making this idea that our gender is not, can, can somehow be separated from our body, that you can be, you know, a woman trapped in a man's body kind of idea. And suddenly those those lied, and people begin to feel like I just need to be who my authentic self is. Um, and of course, as you just you know made plain, Caitlyn Jenner doesn't know the first thing about what it really means to be a woman simply because <laughs> right. fingernails and you know all of that. And that's the the remarkable thing is just what a caricature it is. Um, you know, just these very superficial realities of 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 instead of this idea of deeper idea of motherhood, which of course we can get into. Um, so that that's really what set it off was this idea of being authentic and some you know bad bad science that we still follow um, with this notion of of being able to sort of switch out your gender or gender being something that doesn't isn't really reflected in the body mm-hmm. um, and again back to that bad anthropology of the body and soul um, somehow being disconnected or at odds with one another is is really problematic but again it came from de Beauvoir and and from others who have certainly promoted and and. You know, it's important to note, too, just how much I think lesbianism has 
push this and the the idea of um, sterility is another element of feminism that I think is just really important to start seeing underscored and obviously Margaret Sanger contributed to that um, but it, it's it, you know again it all falls under this heading of how do we make women more like men and and getting rid of our fertility is is very much part and parcel of that and that's why we we now are very confused about motherhood and can't figure out you know how does this respond how does this connect to me as a woman and i i don't mean motherhood just biologically but also psych psychologically sure. and spiritually as well yeah um and that's what you know why we are so conf- confused about what a woman is because of this just deep disconnect with who we are biologically as well uh, it, I can't imagine that transgenderism is a big uh, issue down in the global south. Um, it, it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm just yeah. wondering what we know from cultural anthropology about you know the the persistence of male and female, the persistence of family. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's it, mm-hmm. and how civilization is it re- requires uh, stability. Uh, in families, yeah, yeah, or, no, or I tribes, lecture, I guess. So, yeah, I gave a lecture to a, a number of bishops recently, and many of them were from Africa, and it was really interesting to see the different responses um, of you know a lot of hearty encouragement from from the African bishops on this score. Um, but yeah, I think this is the the important thing is just to recognize that this idea, fundamental idea of the family, is that basic building block of civilization and just how easy it is to destroy civilization when you destroy the family. And I think that that has been one of the very earliest goals, going back to William Godwin and the French Revolution and, uh, you know, even the influence of the Marquis de Sade, who was highly influential on Kate Millett and this breaking down of taboos. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's easier to control people when they are broken, and I think this is really what we we're seeing manifesting itself in the culture is just so much brokenness and continues to lead to greater brokenness and greater brokenness and you know on and on until people finally start saying we just need to go back to the basics here and figure out what is fundamentally the best for children what's fundamentally best for men and women and you know if you look at Seneca Falls as as a document I mean it's asking for some very basic things for for women you know work and public office and voting and all those kinds of things well I think some of those things obviously are are important. I'm not disputing that they should be added, but I think you you swing the pendulum too far the other direction, and men need their own Seneca Falls now, you know, in terms of they have no say about what happens to their children if they're aborted or not. They are Many of them are underemployed, you know, those kinds of things. I'm not suggesting that they do this, because I don't think they would ever, men would ever do this, but I think that the, it, both of those extremes show why we need the family and why the family is so important, because that's what really balances it out, which is not to say that every family is perfect, but it's within the family that you have the the needs met in a balanced and healthy way. Uh, you know, fa- so families, uh, when we think of families, uh, we think of monogamy. Uh, mm-hmm. We think of sexual restraint. Um, mm-hmm. And you, you also, family usually is thinking of the future, uh, the idea of posterity. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So is... Is this is is it true in in history and around the world that societies that emphasize sexual restraint, uh, monogamy, 
persist, and those who lose this idea of family uh, dissolve? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question, and I, yeah, I've got a whole chapter on this. Um, some of the, the information I got from this was by a sociologist back in the 1930s who was not really a theist. He wasn't really looking for answers um, to to buttress some sort of preconceived notion of where things were going to go, but he looked at 86 different cultures, and he was able to pinpoint the moment at which the the decay started happening so they when they went they were building cultures they were absolutely what you just described this idea of of um of family of looking to the future of building of restraint all of that and um he said after that what happens and i'll tell you what what the the fulcrum was what the the main point was in a minute but he says after that he would see this one point happen in a culture he knew it would decay and he said it was so consistent he, he didn't know if he should cry or laugh when he saw it because it was so he, it was just always there. Um, but he said after the decay, when the decay, the decay happened, what what took place was people lost their faith, um, they lost reason, and monogamy ended. Um, so the family started fracturing. And the 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 point at which a civilization changes was when the prohibition against premarital sex was gone. When you got rid of that, after that point, you had a, a culture had about a hundred years. Um, to sustain itself until it completely exhausted itself uh, because of the fact that our time, you know, there's this economy of time and energy yeah. and a culture, when it when it abandons those elements of building, it everything gets, sort of gets further away and, and fractured. So anyway, it's really interesting to, to look at this research and, of course, yeah. map this onto our own culture and see where we're at. You know, we're absolutely at a stage where monogamy is, you know, is in danger. Um, certainly, faith is in danger, and I think reason, you know, yeah. is, is also incredibly fractured um, in our population. So it's it's certainly holding true. I'm I'm, I'm not sure uh, what the exact numbers are, but it's often said that we're nearing the point where nearly fifty percent of children are being born to. Mm-hmm. Uh, broken families or single parent yeah. families and uh, what becomes of us when young men and women are raised in those irregular situations mm-hmm. in their mind that becomes normal yeah no absolutely and i think it also has deeper ramifications for faith also you know in terms of if you've never had a father yes how do you understand god the father if you've never if you didn't have a good mother how do you understand our Lady, and I, I think that's really the, the point of what you know. Satan has been zeroing in on is to try to get us to the point where we can't, we don't have faith, and we're we become incredibly narcissistic and focused on ourselves and our own um, immediate needs, and not in any way having the capacity to to build a family or to to move forward in a healthy way. And it, it's incredibly sad and, and very hard to watch especially when you know that the, none of these things are going to be, you know, places of, of happiness or peace. Yeah. So let me ask you, what is a woman? What is a woman? Um, well, of course, there's the standard adult female human, um, but I, I wasn't really happy with that answer. I thought there, we can go so much deeper. Um, I think uh, what a woman is, is, you know, she creates a space for people to to become who it is that they were meant to be. And yeah. she does that. She she shelters them. 
um, by loving them, but she also is is nourishing. Um, she is encouraging. You know, all of these kinds of things that moms do best, and and you know, are dialed into people in their life. And um, I, again, I I don't think I'm not restricting this to just a certain kind of of mom, but I think these are skill sets that all women really have, and we're all called to mother in a certain way, um, you know, a very broad way in our workplaces and, and where, you know, if we're single, it, it's, it's applicable to the whole adult life of, of women. And I, I, you know, I think we see this very clearly. You just mentioned um, that family or, you know, number of family, number of children born into families without two parents um, in the home. Well, we also now just hit the stage where there are actually more pets in homes than there are children. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think that that really points to the fact that women still have this deep desire to mother something, and it's there's nowhere for it to go. So it's it's expressing itself in pet ownership. And of course, I'm not anti-pet, but when we get to the point where we see women calling themselves dog moms or dog grandmothers or you know all the the language that we have, and we're spending, I think the current number is seven hundred million dollars on pet costumes. You know that something has been channeled in a direction in which it's not. This is yeah. not a healthy dynamic. Um, so I, I think that that's you know it's it's hopeful in that in the respect that it really does point to the fact that this isn't dead in women. It's still that's this maternal spark is still yes. there. It's just something that we need to start helping women understand what it's really meant to do and the way in which they're meant to to mother others, whether it's their own children or. Um, the people around them mentor them spiritually, um, and you know this is the beauty of being Catholics is we have so m- many amazing saints who prov- model this for us. Um, whether it's religious cloistered nuns, um, you know mother saint, mother biological mother saints um, that can show us really how to live this out instead of us sort of grasping at straws or and trying to reinvent the wheel at this stage in, yeah. in history. Um, th- well, uh, we're out of time. <laughs> uh, well, we covered a lot of ground there. Al. We did, uh, well and we'll we'll talk again. I, I, I look forward to it. If people uh, should get in touch with you on the whole theology of home uh, work that you're doing, uh, yeah. is it is it is it at the stage of being a movement yet? I think we're getting there. We're pretty close. Yeah, I think. Uh, I think women want more than what what we're offering, so we're happy to help out at Theology of Home, for sure. All right. Thanks, Carrie. Thank you, Al. Carrie Gress, The End of Woman. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. That's realestateforlife.org. 
Never miss an episode of Cresta in the Afternoon. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen on demand at AveMariaRadio.net and on the Ave Maria Radio app. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. With so much going on in the world, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. What do you need to know today? Stay tuned to Cresta in the Afternoon and Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio as we bring you the day's top stories and conversations from an authentic Catholic perspective. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. I'd like to remind you that, of course, uh, the books we mentioned on this program are available in the online bookstore at AveMariaRadio.net. That is AveMariaRadio.net. Um, and you can follow up. We'll have plenty of follow-up information in the Cresta Guest Archives. Again, easy to get there. AveMariaRadio.net. Look in the upper right-hand corner of the uh, our homepage there. You'll see my face. Tap on it, and that'll take you to the uh, archives. And that's where you'll find all the information uh, that we have supplementing the conversations that we had today. Uh, tomorrow, the 51st Annual March for Life in Washington. EW10 is going to be providing live coverage of the event, be a number of expert guests, uh, there'll be some in-depth analysis. And um, again, this is uh, important, of course, uh, in the aftermath of the Dobbs decision. And uh, we'll see how, what the turnout is like, but it's tomorrow. Watch it on EWTN, the 51st March for Life. Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. To follow up on any of the guests or information presented on today's program, visit the Cresta Guest Archive at AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-M-A-R-I-A Radio.net. To listen to this or any other edition of Cresta in the Afternoon, visit the audio archives at AveMariaRadio.net. Or to order a CD of the program, call 734-930-4506 or email orders at AveMariaRadio.net. That's 734-930-4506 or orders at AveMariaRadio.net.